Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So we've had a few weeks to play around in the permanent historic brawl queue, and today we're going to be talking all about the impact that Jumpstart Historic Horizons has had on the format and the decks you're most likely to see in the queue. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's let's talk a bit about Jumpstart Historic Horizons. We've had a bonus episode about this set um, because it's it's new. It's got these new digital-only designs that can't really... Uh, that that are a challenge to make work in paper. Um, if you're curious about how to play them in paper, please go check out our other episode. But it just injected a ton of new cards from Modern Horizons 1, Modern Horizons 2, uh, and just a bunch of different cards from throughout Magic's history into the historic format and the historic brawl format. So uh, let's start off by talking about the new commanders that are available in historic brawl thanks to Jumpstart Historic Horizons. There is the the cycle of digital only planeswalkers, uh, one of which came pre banned, Davriel, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is, is pretty book wild. <laughs> yeah, um, but perpetual uh, debuffs don't really play friendly with commander like formats, so I can see why that's not included. But let, let's talk a bit about the legendary creatures first, and then we can talk about these planeswalkers. Yeah, um, so. I mean, there were a ton of legendary creatures added to the set. They're going to change the format, and I think they figured that they were fun ways to do that, kind of adding new um, new and interesting archetypes or improving upon archetypes that were already there. So do you want me to get into this first one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So the first one we're going to talk about is kind of an alternative to a commander that existed, but in in a build that's a little bit different. Uh, so this is Pashalik Mons. So Pashalik Mons is a 2-2 goblin warrior for 3 mana, 2 and a red. Uh, he has whenever Pashalik Mons or another goblin you control dies, he deals 1 damage to any target, and he has an activated ability, 3 red, sacrifice a goblin, create 2 1-1 red goblin creature tokens. So this is a goblin deck, obviously. You're going to be playing a ton of goblins, but then you also get to play like death touch equipment. You kind of can focus on death triggers in red. You get to use a lot of the sack outlets that are really fun that you could have used in old goblins, but the old goblins are kind of focusing on more of like a build up your board and play a lord kind of thing. So uh, Pashalik Mons is a pretty interesting take on goblins that is now in historic um another one that's a tribal list that is now in historic that there's two we're going to talk about but the next one is maronar which seems to just be the default build now for people playing rat colony decks i'm just gonna come out and say like i love maronar i think maronar is a great card i think you should probably just play moldrotha and put maronar in your rat colony deck <laughs> i uh you know, I don't know about that. Are you thinking Muldrotha or are you thinking uh, Luris? Because I've seen Luris used well, as a rat see, if you, commander. If you get green in the mix, then you get the like Beast Whisperer and all the stupid green uh, draw spells, and then you can play Maronar, and then you also have the your commander regrows your rats that they kill. I so. don't know. 
the, the times I've run up against the rat deck, it just seems like uh, they're, they're not going for that like long game value. It's just like I play a rat on turn two and then turn three and then two rats on turn four <laughs> and they play Marinar. And then by that point, all these rat colonies have are very like big five or six power and they have fear mm-hmm, uh, and then they don't really care. Yeah. So Marinar is just a great way to like force your enormous x1s uh through that that has a lot of power Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah i I haven't seen a marinar list played against me yet but i've seen a lot of people very happy about marinars so yeah i've seen a couple and it's certainly like a a removal check Um, yeah (laughs) yeah. (laughs) there's a few commanders and cards that we're gonna (laughs) talk about that definitely do that um, this next one is one for me, or it's not quite as immediate of an impact, but if you can't kill it, um, it just absolutely ruins your day. This is Yogmoth, Thren Physician. Yogmoth is in Historic now. You can play it in digital, and it is just as insane. <laughs> Yogmoth is a 4-mana, 2-4 human cleric for 2 and 2 black. He has protection from humans, which people forget. Um, which has won me a few games, actually, which is really funny. Uh, He has pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card, and then black, black, discard a card, proliferate. So can do everything, can do whatever you want, draws a bunch of cards, kills a bunch of things, will absolutely take over a game, and can be your commander in Historic now. (laughs) So pretty book wild. Um, Do you want to get into some of the next ones? So this next one is one that I've built and had a chance to play with and against a fair bit. Um, so Sithis Harvest's Hand is green-white for a 1-2 legendary enchantment creature. And she has, whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. So this is easily the, the new default commander for Enchantress, and it's just much more powerful than the previous best option, with which was uh, Kalix, the Planeswalker from Theros Beyond Death. Uh, Sithis is just super cheap, comes down early, immediately uh, draws you a bunch of cards. Um, it's also She's also cheap enough that like if your opponents have early answers, you can relatively easily get her down uh, multiple times throughout the game. She's just been really strong when I've played her. I think she's like good and fair and powerful. Kind of like you said, there were kind of enchantress commanders, but Sithis is like literally an enchantress (laughs) they just introduced a bunch of tribes and i forgot about this one this is svalen so svalen of sea and sky is one blue blue for a three four legendary creature merfolk god she has indestructible as long as you control two other merfolk or sorry at least two other merfolk whenever she attacks draw a card and other merfolk you control have ward one so prior to this the best Mono blue Merfolk commander was like maybe Coppola, Warden of Waves, mm-hmm. which basically uh, makes spells and abilities your opponents uh, control cost two more to activate or, or cast if they're targeting Merfolk. Um, so this is just significantly better. It's a card advantage engine. Um, it also it provides like a little bit of what Coppola did in addition to just like getting you cards over the course of the game. So it's just the strongest commander for mono blue merfolk builds now, and so it's a, a good option for people who are interested in that. Mm-hmm. No, I've had some fun playing with Valen in some merfolk lists, and it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of very good, another one that actually kind of is a 
enables a combo now in historic is a uh, chatterfang mm-hmm. this is a, a three mana squirrel warrior mm-hmm. <laughs> a three three with forest walk for three mana two and a green it has if one or more tokens would be created under your control those tokens plus that many one one green squirrel creature tokens are created instead and then they have an activated ability black sacrifice x squirrels target creature gets plus x minus x until end of turn what's the pitiless plunder uh so he is three and a black for a one four and he has um whenever another creature you control dies create a treasure token so essentially if you have pitiless plunderer out and your chatter fang and a sack outlet then you can sacrifice any creature whatever uh, Pitiless Plunderer gets you a treasure, and then Shatterfang's replacement effect kicks in and said, you know what, you can have a squirrel to go with that treasure, and then you can just sacrifice the squirrel and keep going. You can make a bunch of treasure uh, if that's your jam. You can also use the treasure mana and then use Chatterfang as your sack outlet, so you're just like giving your opponent's creatures infinite minus minus. Or, like I said, if you have a different sack outlet, you can just generate infinite treasure. Uh, and of course, you can get whatever you can get infinite of whatever that sack outlet produces. So if you're running Yogmoth in your deck, you can draw cards that's bounded only by your life total. So there's just a lot of things you can do there. And of course, you can slot in like Blood Artist or other types of Aristocrats effects in order to make the loop more beneficial to you. I think within these colors too, there's so many like death triggers that you can just get out of this. So if you can assemble this, which actually isn't even that difficult to do because there's a decent amount of good tutors. Yeah, it's it's really only like Pitiless Plunder that is the card that you need because there's yeah. so many things that can slot in for the third piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it just, it's on top of being just sometimes you make a ton of squirrels and greater hoof them to death, like you also can just win out of nowhere with a combo and... Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Chatterfang uh, is uh, pretty good. Yeah, very solid. All right, we've got uh, a new five-color commander. So they, they introduced the first sliver and a whole bunch of, of other slivers. Um, and together they provide like a fun new casual tribal archetype. I've gotten a chance to play with and against it. And it's just, it looks bad because you're pretty much forced into running a lot of like really not good slivers, like scuttling sliver or whatever, <laughs> the, the trilobite sliver. But like the, you know, the fact that you get a bunch of free mana and a card whenever you cast your first sliver, regardless of whether it resolves or not, that gives it some resilience. Uh, and then of course, like if you can stick it on the board for a little while, just playing a sliver, cascading into another sliver, cascading down to your, your one drop slivers, uh, and then cascading into like a Mox Amber or something is just really powerful. It allows you to get kind of a board out of nowhere. And it's definitely a fun deck to play. If you've never really played with Cascade before, I think like the visceral feeling is even more so in Historic because you don't have to like, like things just happen like it kind of is just like magic in front of you as you like <laughs> you don't have to like constantly randomize the cards you're sticking on the bottom yeah <laughs> like and also like if you don't have something well it's just like so much faster you don't have to flip through mm-hmm. 40 cards to find your one zero drop 
Yeah, and I and this is just a thing I've noticed is like I I've gotten pretty good with like manipulating cards and shuffling and flipping cards from the top or bottom or whatever it might be. But that's not always the case for everybody. So in paper magic, sometimes like people have a hard time flipping a single card at a time. Mm-hmm. And that can just make the game take longer than anyone kind of really wanted it to, but uh, I I still feel like the first sliver is is really crazy strong and the fact that we get it now in historic with like a curated pool of slivers <laughs> means that it is strong but it's fun it's more casual you don't feel like you're just immediately dead on board <laughs> yeah like some of the other five color lists <laughs> yeah definitely like uh with the first sliver there's kind of a pinch point and i think they were very clever about which slivers to introduce into the format it's actually pretty tough to get evasion going there's really only cloud shredder sliver um so if that dies if your opponent has removal for that it tends to lead to like a little bit board stally games it's just like difficult to force your guys through so compared to like um compared to like commander where you know you're gonna have your gale rider sliver you're gonna have your shadow sliver you're gonna have all these different ways to get through the first sliver there are cards in the deck that if you remove it's going to be a challenge like you can't even give your slivers trample in historic role yeah yeah you can just make big <laughs> make hit big that's not all of them. i mean give them double strike but yeah there's very few ways to actually get through once you got them all down yeah in regards to like purely slivers you can find other cutesy like you, you can always run crater hoof mm-hmm. So <laughs> there, there he is. But yeah, if you're hesitant to run slivers in paper because the the history behind them, the kind of ease of deck building, I would give it a shot here. It doesn't take that many wild cards, especially if you played in the event. If you made this deck at least one time, you probably got most of the slivers you need. Yeah, there's actually two sliver packets. One that one's like red, white aggro slivers, but still, either way, like. If you're jump starting, you're probably trying to get at least one of everything. It's relatively easy on your um, wild card supply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and your mana doesn't need to be super good, which is great. And there's a lot of cheap, easy tap lands. Um, And then the last one is an archetype that I I wouldn't even say it like like this was definitely a thing people did, but it wasn't like an archetype archetype, like looking at the cards that were on Arena, Mm -hmm. but reanimator. Uh, Chainer Nightmare Adept was introduced uh, with the Jumpstart Historic Horizons, and it is just as efficient in digital as it is in tabletop. You can pitch what you don't need early to cast spells and like enable madness if you got that or something. You can pitch what you don't need late to reanimate those things you pitched early. It it's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chainer's a good card, and he's good here. Yeah, no, uh, definitely a solid. If you really want to do reanimator, um, or or even just like sort of graveyard recursion value, he's a pretty good commander for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other legendary creatures introduced in the format, um, but these ones I think are going to be a little bit less impactful. So like Ivy, the the storm ooze, it's a little tricky to to get storm going in mono green in historic brawl you just don't have quite the same number of enablers that you would have in say commander 
Um, so that that's a challenge. Like getting more than say like three copies of IV seems very very challenging. Um, <laughs> it, it yeah yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to have a huge impact. Zabaz the Glimmer Wasp. There's even fewer modular creatures in Historic Brawl than there are in Commander. So I think that's going to be a difficult to make really, really powerful. Um, Ayula the Bear Queen uh, is is certainly fun and and Mimi. And it's great that they introduced uh, Bear Cub that with that beautiful Ron Spencer art into the format. But it's there honestly aren't that many bears. It's a little hard to like make it work consistently and it's super vulnerable to removal. So it's going to be tricky to uh, make to like tune it to the same power level as some of the other commanders we've talked about today. Um, And then Ripley Vance is uh, again, like another storm E commander, but um, just don't have a ton of the same enablers that you really need to make it work like some things make it work really well like if you get a grinning ignis you can kind of go off with ripley vance but to sort of put that in perspective we also have in the same format you can run burgie and if you draw your uh your grinning ignis in that deck then you get infinite storm whereas ripley is just like oh i get to uh deal some damage once a turn yeah so. <laughs> yeah it's I, I was gonna say ripley is is fun. I did like a crappy little build on it just to see, but that is exactly the same conclusion I came to where it was like, oh, you get to run a lot of the things that like Inferno of the Star Mounts gets. You're like Unleash Furies and stuff like that to kind of cheat and deal a little bit more damage every now and then. But overall, like what you're doing is kind of just like waving your arms around in comparison to what some of the other commanders in the format already do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you have a, a cool Ripley Vance list that's worked well for you, let us know and uh, we'll take a look at it. Maybe talk about it here on the show. Uh, and then the last new legendary creature I want to talk about is Lawness, the cryptozoologist. So this is the guy that um, is blue-green for a snake elf druid. And whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can make a clue and then you can tap him and sacrifice clues uh, to look at that many cards from the top of your opponent's library and then put a permanent card from among them onto the battlefield under your control. Its mana value is less than or equal to the number of clues you cracked. So uh, this is, I mean, there there's certainly a lot of situations where it's good. It is nice to just get some free uh, cards along with your value creatures. And there are a few cards that can get that can use your clues for other purposes. Like if you have a Shimmer Dragon, you can tap your clues to draw cards. Or if you have an Inspiring Statuary, you can use your clues to help you cast spells. But I think that like overall, there's not a huge amount of tech. And just after building and playing with Lawness a little bit, it felt like my commander didn't matter that much. Because like Lawness doesn't really put a lot of expectations on you. He just kind of wants you to play good creatures. And the benefit he gives you for for having him out is just not enormous in most cases, unless you have those specific tech cards. So it felt like, oh, I don't really care if Lannis dies. Maybe I'll only cast him, like, I'll cast him on turn two, because it's, you know, whatever. What else was I going to do that turn? Uh, But if he dies, I might not end up casting him for the rest of the game, and that's okay, because the rest of my cards are just good. 
So from that perspective, it doesn't seem like he offers a whole lot more than just other blue green good stuffy commanders. Yeah, I I'll somewhat push back on that. I guess not necessarily all the way cuz like your main point still stands like you're still playing just like good creatures Lenorels, gilded gooses, you're playing mm-hmm. your like dry to the Elysian groves sure. and and tireless provisioners and whatnot. Like these are all cards that you can play in other uh decks, but instead of playing like these cards into like a crater hoof behemoth you're playing these cards into like now new to the form format what was that card called rise and shine yeah so like you get to play that one instant that makes all of your artifacts into target artifact you control the masterful replication Mm -hmm. so like if you have like any artifact creature worth anything you have a karn token you have a like a torrential gear hulk, a thought monitor, um, like you just kind of kill them. <laughs> so yes, it, like your your first part, the analysis is totally spot on. Like you really don't need your commander to like do most of what your deck is doing. But I think this is a deck for hipsters. <laughs> this is a deck for like, you wanted to play blue green, but you don't want to just keep winning with the same overrun cards. Then Lonus is for you. That, okay. That's what I'll say about it. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair points. All right. Let, we're going to briefly touch on the planeswalker commanders. And then we're going to talk about some of the, the main deck cards that are introduced in jumpstart historic horizons. So planeswalker commanders, I guess we'll, we'll start with white. So Teo is the, white member of this this cycle that was introduced as Teo Aegis Adept. It's two white white for a four loyalty planeswalker Teo. Uh, plus one up to one target creature's base power perpetually becomes equal to its toughness. It perpetually gains this creature can attack as though it didn't have defender. Uh, you can minus two conjure a card named Lumbering Light Shield onto the battlefield, which is a one four that when it enters an opponent, a random card in an opponent's hand randomly, or sorry, perpetually costs one more. Uh, and then minus six, you get an emblem with the beginning of your end step, return target white creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, you gain life equal to its toughness. So after like playing with the Teo packet and also just like having a little experience trying to make defenders work in historic brawl, <laughs> uh, I don't think that the the plus one or minus two are really worth getting excited about. First off, if you're like playing mono white defenders, you're just playing a bunch of cards that are only good when your commander's on the battlefield. And so by being in mono white, you're cutting yourself off from these like alternative ways to animate your defender guys. And also because so like you can't just like turn them all online at once. You have to play Teo and then like over the course of several turns, all right, you wake up now and then you wake up now and then you wake up now. And that's just a very slow process for like turning your cards into something that actually contributes to the board and and can be a win condition the minus six though the emblem though does seem like an extremely powerful emblem so maybe the direction you want to take it is like trying to proliferate that um Mm -hmm. within this color identity you have like Grateful Apparition, you have Karn's Bastion, you've got Wanderer's Strike, Martyr for the Cause. So maybe there's something 
with uh, just trying to get to like ratchet that up as quickly as possible, like play a bunch of board wipes to clear the board so your Teo can be a little bit safer. Um, and then just play like a, a reanimator game once you've got the emblem off. But it's, it seems like a, a challenging commander to to do very well with. Yeah, because it like doesn't really reward flyers the way it says it does on the card. So you kind of have to like make your game plan. But yeah, you're right. Like that emblem is bonkers. Speaking of White Plains Walkers, uh, let's move on to Sarah the Benevolent. So this is not a digital only design. This is a, a reprint from Modern Horizons 1, but she is two white white for a four loyalty planeswalker. Sarah, plus two creatures you control with flying, get plus one plus one until end of turn. Minus three, create a four four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance. And minus six, you get an emblem with, if you control a creature, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. Uh, so you get a bit of a worship emblem. What do you think about Sarah as a commander in Historic Brawl? Yeah, the thing about Sarah is that it kind of looks like you're going to have a fun time building a like flyers, like reward you for playing flyers kind of deck. And in reality, it's not that. <laughs> like, I mean, you get like a cheap Sarah Angel which is cool. Um, then you can buff your other flyers that were there, but like plus one, plus one. Um, it's not not a crazy buff. The real power behind Sarah is really that that ultimate, if you can get that worship uh, emblem. Um, I have had people just scoop to that <laughs> at mm. this point. And I, I think that's where a lot of the power in her card uh, kind of has always been. It's been like, oh, okay, I get a 4-4 four, four, that's pretty strong can do that every like third turn <laughs> uh or i can get this emblem uh and then my opponent just is in a really tough place yeah so not specifically the build around that she looks like but i think there is power there i think people can have a good time with this commander yeah i agree with you i think that like most of the power is in the emblem and and like teo you got to just build your deck with a bunch of board wipes and a lot of ways to protect her. And then once you take care of her, she'll take care of you. I think we can move on to the next Planeswalker commander, though. We've got Kiora, the Tide's Fury. She is three and a blue for a four loyalty Planeswalker Kiora. Plus one, conjure a card named Kraken Hatchling into your hand. So that's a single blue mana for a zero four Kraken. Uh, Plus one, untap target creature or land to prevent all damage that would be dealt to and dealt by that permanent until your next turn. And then minus three, you may sacrifice a Kraken. If you do, create an 8-8 blue Kraken creature token. So she's kind of got this like like internal combo going where you can plus one her, immediately get your Kraken Hatchling next turn, cast it, and swap it out for an 8-8. Um, unfortunately, there's not... Uh, I don't know if there's like a whole lot of build around with this card, though, because she kind of like... The, she kind of does like the setup and the payoff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know uh, if you really need a whole lot else or, or like if she gives you a whole lot of direction for the rest of the deck. No, I, I have not gotten to build with this Kiori yet, but I've kind of been thinking about it and, and things that I was going to include were like changelings because, again, you can drop like a three mana changeling um Drop her immediately, get your 8-8. Yeah, immediately get an 8-8. That's like not bad, but 
And also things that like loot uh, are pretty good when you just get a crappy card every turn to do that with. Mm-hmm. So that's, oh, that's not a great point. That's not like specifically a super strong thing, but it is just a little bit of extra value when you're like, okay, well, I'll keep this like re-sculpt in my hand and I'll keep this other blue card or this land and I'll pitch my Kraken hatchling that I have infinite of because my commander just cranks them out once a turn. So that that was kind of it. I, I was not expecting her to be super strong, but having an 8-8 on turn four seems like it could be pretty good um it just seems like another there there are for some reason a lot of like mono blue value decks in historic and kiora just kind of seems like another one of those yeah uh it's gonna be tough to compete with some of the existing options though like brawl yeah. is yeah around <laughs> every corner exactly <laughs> yeah definitely uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're gonna skip past Avril because that's not super relevant to this format, and move on to Sarkan Wanderer to Shiv. Uh, this is three and a red for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Sarkan. Plus one dragon cards in your hand perpetually gain this spell cost one less to cast, and you may pay X rather than pay this spell's mana cost, where X is its mana value. Uh, zero. You can conjure a card named Shivan Dragon into your hand. And minus two, Sarkhan Wanderer to Shiv deals three damage to target creature. Um, so this, this seems like an alternative dragon commander. Um, they we have gotten other, not only like other mono red dragon commanders, but other Sarkans that are mono red dragon commanders. Um, for example, we currently legal in the format. We have the the three mana Sarkan that can plus one to add two mana that can be spent only on dragons. I don't know if this really like open up and opens up a new archetype. It's more just like an alternative to existing options for mono red dragons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't think this is doing anything particularly different. Um, I think the plus one is like novel, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, in mono red, it's not like you're really getting a bunch out of the, like you don't have to pay colors. The cost reduction is nice, but I think a big part of this Sarkin is that like it kind of helps you cheat in multicolor dragons, and you're not really getting to do that here. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think the other mono red Sarkins are just as interchangeable in regards to uh, Sarkin Brawless, historic Brawless. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got the last one, the last Planeswalker, and can I introduce? her to the mix <laughs> sure go right ahead um so this is Freyle's sky shroud partisan and i said that really funny Freyle's or Freyle's? i don't actually know i uh, i always said Freyle's or Freyle's. i've been like using it interchangeably um, yeah so if you know if it's Freyle's or Freyle's, let me know but i'm gonna say Freyle's sky shroud partisan because the show must go on this is a four loyalty planeswalker frailize for three mana, one green green, and she cares about elves. She has plus one untap up to one target elf. That elf and a random elf creature card in your hand perpetually get plus one plus one. So that just get it plus one plus one forever until the mm-hmm. game's over. Minus one seek an elf card. So seek, if you remember, is your deck randomly spits out an elf from inside of it into your hand. Um, you don't have to shuffle. You don't have to do anything. The computer just takes all the, the hard work out of it and puts an elf there. 
And minus six, conjure a card named Regal Force onto the battlefield. Regal Force, just for those who can't remember, it's a 5-5 five, five elemental for seven. Uh, it's from Lorem Block originally, and they, I think they only reprinted it once in like Jumpstart. Maybe I'm wrong about mm-hmm. that. But um, basically, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card for each green creature you control. So uh, it's a pretty good elf reward. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you play all your elves, um, get a regal force, draw more elves. Seems pretty good. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about Fraley's? Uh, so I've seen her in the wild a couple of times. I think that um, people have really taken to her as an alternative elf commander. Um, previously, there were uh, like Marwyn was a pretty strong elf commander. There was also uh, Tyvar Kel. He was another uh, pretty strong elf commander that also gave you access to black. Um, Fraley's, I think that part of the reason people like her over, say, Marwyn is just that she's much less fragile. Having played against a lot of Marwyn decks and as someone who tends to run a lot of interaction um, in my historic brawl decks, it's not too hard to just like keep Marwyn off the board before she can get like really huge and really explosive. But with Fraley's, it, it's just more difficult to deal with a planeswalker and the fact that she can uh, either generate mana with her plus one untapping your mana dorks or like just draw a card every turn off this seek ability Uh, drawing a relevant card makes her uh, pretty powerful for a three mana commander and of course you're going to get starts that are like lanawar elves into freyalize and just the the potential because she is so cheap to come down Uh, a turn early and uh, just start generating value really before you've kind of got your defenses ready uh, is makes it so that she can be a bit difficult to answer. Yeah, that really is the thing that's uh, bonkers. So classically birds of paradise that like everyone who's listening to this probably knows the phrase bolt the bird. Um, That's true of like land worlds and stuff, because if there is a good three drop in the format, uh, your day is probably going to get ruined, and uh, what wouldn't you know? It Fraylize is just a very good three drop, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like when it comes down that early, it can really take over a game because she's offering you mana, she's offering you like beef, she's offering you card draw, and has a very good reward in the form of that regal force. So, yeah, definitely, if you can drop one of the, I'm actually not sure how many Lanor Elf. I know there's more than one Lanor Elf in the format. In historic brawl in historic, or in in historic brawl, right? Am I tripping there? Is there a, oh it, gilded goose? Is yeah, there the, there's the goose. Um, the other one, there's like other ones, but they require you to tap additional creatures. So it's really only like Lanor elf and goose that allow you to get the the turn, the turn to yeah. realize. <laughs> Still very good. Still worth it. Yeah, that's it as far as commanders. There's some just like bonkers staples that have been added to the format too which we can get through pretty quickly i think yes so uh, i guess we'll just go in in color order um the in terms of white cards there's really only one that stands out to me um and that of course is esper sentinel um esper sentinel is far and away the best white card to be introduced it's a single white mana for a one one artifact creature human soldier uh, whenever your opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, they either you either get to draw a card or they pay X mana where X is um, Esper Sentinel's power. So 
I've uh, just gotten to draw him like early in the game against control decks, and I've have drawn multiple. Like when I've cast it, I, I usually draw one to two cards, and then they kill it, uh, and that's just a really good exchange for one mana. Um, it's uh, and then of course if you are in any sort of deck that can pump its power, it just becomes completely insane. Uh, it, it's just like a great. Like, yeah, it doesn't seem that impressive if you taxed your opponent for, like, two or three mana over the course of a game, or you drew, like, drew one or two cards, but for the investment that you're putting into this card, it's it's fantastic. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, easily recurrable. It fits into so many strategies. Um, and I'm, I'm going to use this opportunity to just kind of say, like, for a lot of the other colors, like Nick was saying, this is the far and away the best white card that they added um for a lot of the other colors the cards that they introduce to them are like multifaceted perhaps they fit into multiple strategies and for white we got a lot of stuff for like weenies Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we got things for like strategies that don't really exist yet like Mm -hmm. cycling yeah we we didn't really get a lot of just generically good cards in the same way i will say we got like a late to dinner which is a four mana reanimation spell in white which is cool um but But, one card does not make (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) when i when i uh when i saw that late to dinner was being introduced in the format it's like oh you know let me take a take a look at uh niambi and see maybe if i can make that work and it's like okay number of white reanimation spells it's like late to dinner and that's it and number of blue reanimation spells Mm -hmm. it's like well okay body doubles in the format but that's pretty much it yeah (laughs) i mean technically and i know you could possibly count like the elspeth conquers death or whatever but like i it's like not that's not enough (laughs) it's just not good enough so uh yeah so this is I'm I'm going to stop talking about it but I I am kind of upset that where the other colors got generally useful cards white tended to get mostly like Ranger Captain of Eos which I'm very excited about I love that card but yeah, that is that, a card that, for for weenies you know that is not Yeah that, that, that doesn't slot into every deck I I agree that's definitely a nice addition it's useful in decks that can recur creatures out of the graveyard like it's a fantastic addition to Teshar Mm-hmm. it's a good addition to Extus, but it definitely doesn't go into every deck you need to have like a toolbox going on uh before you can really consider it i think um but yeah. I, I would agree that that's probably like the second best white card to be introduced into the format via historic horizons yeah so well i'll i'll stop talking about this and i can instead talk about this card that i love and uh everyone else has realized how good it is too i feel like <laughs> um this is archmage's charm and I'm uh, being a little bit facetious when I say that. So Archmage's Charm is a, a blue instant. It costs blue, blue, blue. And it has choose one. Counter target spell. Target player draws two cards. Gain control of target permanent with mana value one or less. Um, so this came out in uh, Modern Horizons 1. Uh, it was pretty good. Didn't really have a place, but I picked up a bunch of them because I'm like, this is really cool. I'm going to play this in my like mono blue decks and commander and stuff like that. Uh, and now they're kind of a modern staple <laughs> mm-hmm. and probably will be a historic staple too, just because it does so many things. Yeah, I don't run a lot of three mana counter spells in historic brawl, um, 
but I definitely make room for this one in my mono blue decks because of the versatility, uh, because it can do so many things for you. You know, I've had opportunities for fun plays where like, oh, my opponent is uh, attacking with this nettle cyst. So I steal some cheap artifact and their nettle cyst is smaller and then I get to blow them out. And then, of course, there's just like, you know, a counterspell is always going to be useful. Card draw is going to help you dig for something if a counterspell won't solve a problem. It's just a great versatile card and I would strongly uh, recommend running it in your mono blue decks that are controlling the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you'll just kind of be surprised at the things you can steal with it sometimes to like win a game because it is merely a one mana value permanent. So sometimes you'll look down and you'll be like, oh, wow, uh, they're really going off with their like a Johnny's welcome, which is just like uh, whenever a creature ETBs, they gain a life or something like that. And then all of a sudden their entire strategy is completely gone and you get to take over the game same is true for like if they're doing like a cauldron familiar which is oven type strategy like you just you steal the oven or or they've tapped out and you can steal the cauldron familiar that cat is on your side their whole game plan is over so just the versatility of like oh and if, if i can't do that and they're not casting spells i draw two cards mm-hmm. it's so buck wild it's so good that's great the next one i kind of went off on as a commander but uh Definitely still relevant here. This is Yagmoth Thren Physician again. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about him? Because I yeah. did so much last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, so this is just easily one of the better sack outlets in the format. And there's just a lot of decks that are interested in what he's offering. Um, there's Aristocrats lists. There's token lists. Uh, lists that are running things like Reassembling Skeleton or those other guys. Um, so I think he's just like not only a powerful new commander, but just a great addition to a lot of different black archetypes. Uh, so I would I would definitely craft a copy if you haven't run into the Plague packet yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you haven't played with Yawgmoth, it is incredible how good it feels. You're like, oh man, sometimes you'll look down and you'll be at like seven life and you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> Forg- <laughs> forgot. <laughs> I was and- just having so much fun. I forgot. No, you'll still win the game though. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I certainly have had plenty of games where I just like pay- decided, you know what? I'm going to go ham. I'm going to pay out all my life. And if they just don't draw a way to burn me out, I think I'll win. And that prediction proved to be correct. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, this next card is one that I've played with a lot. I enjoy um, on in Historic Brawl and in Paper. This is Seasoned Pyromancer. Um, this is a three mana, two, two, one and two red. When he enters the battlefield, you can discard up to two cards. Uh, if you do, you draw that many cards and then you make a one, one red elemental creature for each non-land you discarded this way. And then if he's in your graveyard, you can spend three red red, so five mana to exile him and make two one one red elemental creatures. That part is kind of gravy on the train that is a two two loot and get a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just so good, fixes your draws, um, puts what you need in the graveyard if you're doing stuff like that, um, digs you deeper into your deck to find what you need if you don't have it. It's just so good. So good. Yeah, I've been very pleased with Season Pyromancer and my red builds. Yeah, and it, it really is the kind of thing where it's it seems like it is for an archetype, but really it's just good. Yeah. <laughs> like you it looks like you're you're gonna want to play it in your decks that are 
like making tokens or like a combo list where you're digging and discarding. But really, it's like turns out having four power for three mana is just good. And turns out like looting is just good. So, yeah, like kind of regardless of whether you're uh, sort of the aggro or the control, like if you're looking to do something aggressive, um, it's it'll help you sort of curve out by like fixing your your draw, maybe getting you the lands you need, or 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 getting more more gas, and then also has that potential to like just put a bunch of power on the board if you're trying to attack. And then if you're in the control seat, like then it'll help you fix your draws and potentially put a bunch of chump blockers out there to buy you more time against the aggressive decks. So it's just kind of useful in a lot of different archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. Really happy to see that on the digital form because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've been loving that card in real life too. Um, do you want to talk about this next one? This is one that you have uh, extolled and I agree with. Oh, yes. Uh, so, so Static Discharge is one of the new um, digital-only designs to come out of the set. And it's honestly, it's a strange place for like a digital-only design. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one in a red for a sorcery. Static Discharge deals X damage to any target, where X is 3 plus the number of charge counters on Static Discharge. Then put a Perpetual Charge Counter on this card and each card named Static Discharge in your hand, graveyard, and library. So in Historic Brawl, uh, unless you have a way to like recur spells from your graveyard, this is just a Volcanic Hammer. Like The, the Charge Counter text doesn't actually do anything. Um, so... It's, but but honestly, I think a volcanic hammer is fine in this format because you're playing with a much lower life total than commander because you only have a single opponent. Um, I actually think that burning people's face is not a terrible strategy. And in my red de- red decks, I tend to run lightning bolt, lightning strike, uh, royal eruption, and now static discharge just as a way to not only control small creatures, potentially hit planeswalkers. But also, just to close out a, a long game, uh, there, there's definitely been games of Historic Brawl I played where it's like, hmm, this control deck is really about to smush me with those seven cards in hand, and then <laughs> bolt you, lightning strike you, game. So I, I think that like running burn is a pretty decent strategy in red, and uh, Static Discharge is a, a useful addition to the suite of burn spells that we have access to. Yeah, and this is like not even to say like this is better than a lot of those other spells if you can get it back if you're running a deck with a lot of spell recursion. Mm-hmm. Because the first time is three, the second time is four, the next time is five. So it uh, is just like you said, it's just a good card. <laughs> it protects you early, it can kill them late. Uh, direct damage uh, in Historic Brawl has been uh, way better than I expected it to be. And it kind of makes sense in a 1v1 format, but. Uh, also, not the kind of thing I was focusing on, <laughs> so it kind of kind of blindsided me. This next, these are two cards that basically do the same thing uh, for this next category. They're both green. Uh, it is Harrow and Spring Bloom Druid. Harrow is an instant. It's two and a green. It has an additional cost. You sacrifice a land, and then you search your library for two basic lands and put them onto the battlefield. Spring Bloom Druid is. Kind of the same. It's a one. It's a three mana one one elf druid. Uh, it costs two and a green. When it enters the battlefield, you sack a land. If you do, search for two basics and put them on a battlefield tapped. So not quite the same 
basically the same. <laughs> they like ramp you. One of them you can flicker. One of them you can use spell recursion on. You you all kind of know how to play the game. I'm assuming. Um, and they're just very good. Um, these are both cards that I've run heavily, and I assume you have run heavily in regular commander. Um, they're great for your green decks. Uh, Haro in particular is great in one v one because you can hold up that mana and then ramp whenever you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're good with all the crucible effects, of which there are actually many in historic brawl at this point, mm-hmm. which is really funny. So yeah, just just these are now here, and uh, I'm loving it. It's great. Yeah, your landfall decks are definitely gonna get a boost out of uh, the cards coming in historic horizons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I can't believe that that was a theme <laughs> that, <laughs> that they had in one of the packs, but uh, they but, did it. Yeah, but we are not done with the uh, green accelerants yet. We also got Lanoir Tribe, which is green, green, green for a 3-3 Elf Druid, and it has tap, add green, green, green to your mana pool. So in terms of just like cost to production ratio, this is like the best accelerant in the format. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what? I guess it is beat by Mox Amber. But aside from that, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's pretty incredible the amount of acceleration this can provide for you just going from three to seven mana is absurd and then of course if you're playing a list like frail eyes where you can untap it uh just becomes completely absurd mm-hmm. yeah um this I, i'm not gonna say that. i had an idea i want to test it before i talk about it <laughs> okay all right but yeah. I, I think that like in your mono green lists you should just definitely run lanoir tribe it's it's not really a a choice yes yeah the other one the canopy tactician which is four mana but taps for three green that has been good for me in the elf decks it's been good for me in like kind of the big mana um green decks and i can only assume i'm gonna be just as happy oh i know i know i am just as happy because <laughs> i played with it <laughs> with this guy this guy is, is awesome this guy rocks yeah all right uh last new potential staple we're gonna be talking about is um Faceless Agent. So this is three generic mana uh, for a 2-1 shapeshifter with Changeling. And uh, it has, when it enters the battlefield, seek a creature card of the most prevalent creature type in your library. Um, And I found that this is just, uh, this is, it looks like a tribal card, but it's really just a three mana 2-1 that draws a relevant card when it enters the battlefield. Like, it's just naturally better on its face than something like that cleric in the D and D set that draws a card and gains oh, a life, mm-hmm. or yeah, the priest of ancient lore. Yeah, um, so it's just better than like similar creatures because you know it's not going to get a land when you're already flooded. Um, and so I've just been running it in decks that kind of want like cheap value creatures to recur. Uh, so I've been putting it in like Teshar and and uh putting it in in like aura clerics and 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 just like any deck that wants value creatures and it it slots into any tribal archetype as well so if you haven't yet you know picked up one of the tribal packets just like craft faceless agent because it's kind of bizarre but it's a common and it's very powerful yeah exactly it's it because i know it mentions tribes on it but like you said it just gets you uh creature period it looks at your deck and goes what's the most common creature type and then goes ah yes of course wizards and then gives you a wizard and you could 
maybe you only have three wizards in your deck, you know? Yeah. So it is, it's just very good. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, with that, I think we can move on to the next section, which is maybe, so maybe areas for improvement in, uh, in how historic brawl is currently set up. So, you know, we love Historic Brawl. There's been a lot of cool things added to the format, but there's still it's still a young format and there are things that need improvement. And the the one that sticks out to me the most is that the matchmaking algorithm is mm, I I I doubt it's working as intended. I doubt it's <laughs> achieving the goals that they said it was uh trying to achieve. Um because when they unbanned Golos and Winota in Historic Brawl, well, I'll, I'll read you their statement. This is what they said. Since last August, we've been tracking and weighing specific commanders in both Brawl and Historic Brawl. Our goal has been to better match players with similarly weighted commanders, keeping the challenge for competitive players while assuring the formats remain hospitable to casual players. Uh, players with high-powered commanders are more likely to square off against each other, and casual players not looking for that high-powered experience are more likely to face similar opponents. With this system in place, we are now more likely to use waiting rather than banning as a tool for managing very powerful commanders. Uh, therefore, Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, and Winota Joiner of Forces are now no longer banned Historic Brawl. I think that approach makes a lot of sense. Better to give people access to the cards they really want to play with and let the more casual players just play against each other. I think that the fact that they have this matchmaking algorithm like solves so many problems that arise in Commander with like trying to match power level. Like, oh, my deck's a seven; it's not a seven. Uh, <laughs> or, or just like you know, pre-game conversations. Oh, you know, I have like one infinite combo to close out the game. Like, I think a good algorithm, especially when they have access to like everyone's deck list, um, or and everyone's commander and and. There's a lot of heuristics they can use based on the cards you're running, but um, with the amount of data that they have, I think that a matchmaking algorithm like could solve a lot of the problems inherent in this casual format. But like, like we've been kind of looking at some data provided by Raphael, one of our patrons, and I don't think they are succeeding in matching high-powered commanders against each other and protecting the rest of the format. Yeah, and, and I want to say this is like we'll we'll talk about this at the end too. But this is also tempered with our experience too, which we're going to start being a little bit more diligent in in marking, like Raphael has been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Raphael's been uh, dutifully tracking his pairings and win rate in Historic Brawl, um, and he played a hundred games with Winota join our forces after she was unbanned and got an astounding eighty one percent win rate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and in fact, uh, he you know he made some changes about a third of the way through those hundred games, and his win rate is actually eighty eight percent over the last sixty six games. So, uh, and and you know while I'm I'm not, uh, while I'm sure Raphael's build was very strong, and I'm sure he's a, an excellent player, uh, it it seems that I th- I think based on like who he's getting paired against. Uh, I think that that win rate is in part because they're not the algorithm is not doing a great job of matching him with similarly powerful decks because he tracked uh, all the commanders he got paired up against. 
you you'd think like oh it's going to be like mostly other winota decks maybe some golos decks maybe some baral decks but that's not really what happened um out of his 100 matches he was paired against golos eight times and he was paired against niv mizzet parin the five color niv mizzet four times and against essica the the god of the tree three times so those are definitely those those five color good stuffy commanders that you know kind of are the bane of the format but other than that like there was no single commander that he got paired against more than twice uh, in fact over the 100 games he played against over the 100 games he played he got paired against 74 unique commanders and among them just tons of lower tier commanders like you know a Sararak, a Rasta, Kalia 2.0 um, not to disparage anyone who built these commanders, but they're just clearly not on the same power level of Winota, which is like, you know, turn four on the play, you are dead unless you have an answer. Um, so I I understand that the weight given to commanders like Winota is like only one factor in the matchmaking algorithm, and it's got to be balanced against other factors, like the time it takes players to find a match. But if this deck is consistently getting 80 plus percent win rate uh it's clearly impacting people who just want to play casually like that that shouldn't happen if your algorithm is working right yeah and again this is like not to disparage Raphael, who like has been playing a while like is is good at magic like we're we're not basically what we're saying is like winota is uh notably busted (laughs) yeah (laughs) winota was banned um and was banned for a reason and one of the reasons that they unbanned it was that they said that they would make the matchmaking better. But apparently, like if this is the case, if if it is true that you can have an Arasta against a Winota, and that just is a thing that is bound to happen, then well, of course the Winota is gonna it's gonna steamroll. The, yeah, <laughs> that matchup. Crush it. Yeah, there's just like Arasta has so few things in its arsenal to compete with that, and. Unless the Acerarak is is playing like mono kill spell the deck, which it probably isn't. They're probably playing like some kind of venture into the dungeon build. Mm-hmm. Like like it it's the same thing. So um this is just really good information, really interesting, and it kind of inspired uh, me and Nick to start doing the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely wanted to test it for myself because it was like hard to believe. Like, is this really allowed to happen is this really what's going on like um and i played 10 i I threw together a winota list played 10 games and it also seemed like i was getting paired against more casual decks at a frequency that seemed too high like i got paired against uh one of my games was against a kiora behemoth beckoner deck so that was the hybrid uh blue green kiora from war of the spark that whenever a creature with the power of four greater enters the battlefield under your control you draw a card and you can minus one to untap a permanent um, but I got paired against a Kiora Behemoth Beckoner list that was mono green that had no islands, no blue cards, uh, and like clearly that is not that clearly that is not being op- built optimally. Of course, it's just not going to do well against this commander that's banned in multiple formats. Yeah, definitely. If you have been having like a hard time, or you feel like you're getting these matchups that are just unfair for what you're doing like maybe you're playing like mono white cycling or something like Mm -hmm. that like 
something that is not quite a supported archetype within the game, but then you keep facing down like four color Omnath or Golos or something like that. Like, let us know if you have data to back it up, even if it's just like 10 games or something like that. We would love to hear it. And this, like I said, this is something we're going to focus on. Um, just because it seems not good. Yeah. Personally, I think that I know that they're, like I said, I know they're trying to balance multiple things, but if matchmaking is a little bit more I think matchmaking could be a little bit more restrictive for high tier commanders I think it's okay if maybe it only takes like 10 seconds to find a game if you're running a casual deck but if you're running like one of these pub stompy kind of builds that maybe it's okay if like time to find a pairing goes up to like 30 seconds or or 45 seconds or a minute uh however long it or, or so that you have more time to find an appropriately powerful partner to get paired against. Because I think like, I think it's okay to make the game, the client slightly less hospitable to uh, these like good stuff competitive players if it means that we protect the fun of the casual players that are supposedly like who this format is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, like, the whole point of Historic Brawl is that it gives you a place to play with your cards because there are so many cards that you just can't play with and that are possibly even like de facto banned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like maybe it's not that they're literally banned, but you just like can't, they're not powerful enough to be played in standard or something like that. And, and maybe they're not legal in regular Brawl. So mm-hmm. where are you going to play them? Well, now you got Historic Brawl. And so it's, it's so you can play your jank it so you can play your pet cards and things like that and um and having it's just someone's not yeah fun to like play a deck like that that's you know intentionally not trying to do the most optimal thing and you get paired against golos or you get paired against winota and it's just like i didn't really learn anything from this matchup i knew i was gonna lose to winota when i sat down yeah um, <laughs> i don't know i would like to, to see some changes in the algorithm for sure Mm-hmm. And and that kind of brings us to our last. These are just some quick things, uh, some quality of life upgrades that we think would make Historic Brawl better. So if you are at Wizards and you're listening to this, if you know someone at Wizards, your dad works at Wizards and he gets you those cool promos, your or, uncle at Wizards told you, uh-huh. <laughs> or, or if you have a, a Twitter account and you know how to tweet at Wizards, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's then this true. section might be for you. That's true. Yeah, you could help us out there too. Um, so the, I mean, obviously, the first one is the matchmaking. Um, that's kind of the the headline of this section. But the there's a few things we identified as just being kind of bad. Would be better if they were not there and or fixed somehow. This next one that we're going to talk about is pretty quick. It's just direct challenge access to historic brawl. Um, so do you want to get into that one? <laughs> yeah. So currently, you can play historic brawl with random players in the queue. But you can't actually play the game against people on your friends list very easily. Hopefully, this would be a, a simple change to make just to make the format a little bit more accessible to people and, and give you the social experience of Commander on Arena. Another issue that would be nice to be fixed uh, is the set search function for Jumpstart Historic Horizons. So currently, if you select Jumpstart Historic Horizons in the set filter when you're doing an advanced search during deck building. 
it doesn't actually include the Modern Horizons 1 or Modern Horizons 2 cards that were released via Jumpstart Historic Horizons. Modern Horizons 1 and 2 don't show up in the set filter. So the only way to to see those cards is if you like learn the syntax and then type in like set colon mh1 into the search bar or set colon mh2. So it it's just really a pain if you're trying to upgrade your decks with these new cards that you're getting in Jumpstart Historic Horizons. You essentially have to do three searches to get mm-hmm. all the cards that could fit in your deck. Well, basically, you can use if you know the syntax for um, for the set, you could type in set j set colon j twenty one capital o r like space capital o r space set colon m h one space capital o r like you can write out the three so you have it in one search function. But the fact that you have to a know how to type that, b know that those are the set names, like, like the set <laughs> codes. The fact that you can't just click and look at your cards is really buckwild and upsetting. And um, should it, you should just be able to look for your card and look at what cards you have. So I will put that in the the show notes just so that other people quickly put that in themselves. Definitely something that's not very user friendly and hopefully would be easy to fix. Um, you just have to like rewrite either like add buttons for or add filters for Modern Horizons one and two, or just rewrite the set code on these cards so they show up when you filter by Historic Horizons. Finally, the the last quality of life upgrade that I this this is not like a, a UI fix or or anything like that, but. I just think it would be a change that would be positive for the format. Uh, I think Paradox Engine should be banned. I was surprised to find that Paradox Engine was not immediately banned in Historic Brawl when it was released in Call of Duty Remastered. As you all know, Paradox Engine is banned in Commander, and Historic Brawl is kind of like a, a Commander analog on Arena. And since it's been introduced to the format, like I haven't really seen it used well i haven't seen anything to make me think it deserves a place in the format what tends to happen is like you know if you ever get paired up against a captain sisse they will ramp out sisse activate it get paradox engine and then every spell they cast untap sisse so they can get another legendary spell and they just kind of snowball from there or like with emery uh lurker of the luck you know once you get once that deck gets a paradox engine online they can cast their entire graveyard and you know if they have like self-sacrificing artifacts like a chromatic sphere or something then they can just kind of like draw their entire deck go off whatever so and then there's of course other decks that can use it effectively as well like decks with lots of mana rocks but problem is like it's not a determinate combo when it wins it takes like 10 minute turns or whatever it takes so long that they have to use the the shortcut to like tap all their permanence or they would time out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't impact a huge percentage of the of the games that I play, but it impacts pretty much a hundred percent of the the games I play against like Sisse or Emery. And I just don't think it is like a positive thing to add to the format. I think that like Sisse will probably be more fun to play if you're able to do more than just one thing if you're not kind of doing the same thing every game 
it's certainly not super fun to play against and it just leads to decks that play out the same every time and win in a way that just feels like a waste like i think it's going to lead to a lot more concessions and a lot less like interactive gameplay i think the only thing i'm really going to add here is that i think that right now people are just distracted i think that right now like we were talking about frailies and i think one of the best cards to put into your frailies deck isn't an elf it is paradox engine right mm-hmm. like like having it so that every time you cast your Llanowar tribe on turn five, you untap all your other mana dorks to cast more elves, to draw more cards, to cast more elves. Like that's just a thing you can do. And you can do that in a lot of decks. We were talking about Lunas earlier, Lonus earlier. Like you can do the same thing there. Like there's no reason your mana rocks and mana dorks aren't just as good in this like blue green list as they are anywhere else. And so I think if, uh, things just keep going and paradox is legal eventually it's going to do what happened in commander where eventually people realize it's the best thing to do it's just right now historic brawl is like a new format people are like enamored with it they're distracted and that over time paradox engine is just going to become the ubiquitous thing and you're going to see it and you're going to be like oh okay well they're tutoring for the paradox engine now <laughs> and uh yeah, eventually it will start to get worse. But for now, I think it's just... Uh, I don't think they realize how big of a scar it is now, but it's only going to get worse over time. Yeah. Although maybe if they you know, tweak the algorithm a little bit, they can just make it so that if you have Paradox Engine in your deck, you're paired against a higher tier of... Uh, oh, that's of true, editors. yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean... If they, that's the great thing about like their matchmaking algorithm. If they get it working really well, then it kind of negates the need for most bands um, and really allows people to self segregate based on the cards they choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to have that rule zero conversation because the algorithm does it for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But that's all we had to talk about today regarding Historic Brawl. Let us know if you're having a lot of fun with the format, what decks you're playing, uh, if anyone out there is collecting data on their win rates. That information is is great, and we love to mess around with data on this show. So please let us know if you're enjoying Historic Brawl. But with that, I'm going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Rick, Raphael, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, Dylan, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Leo, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Ellie, Leon, Jason, and Kyle. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.